Well, hello again. I'm Tony Payne. Welcome to another edition of The Painful Truth. Really great to have you with me here again. Thanks for being here. This is a partner-only edition of The Painful Truth, so thanks once again to all of you who support this podcast and newsletter and help me keep doing it. And thanks, too, for all the positive feedback about my conversation last week with Phil Colgan. I've received quite a lot of letters and emails and, well, not letters, actually. I can't remember the last time I received an actual letter from one of you, but emails, certainly, and messages and comments about how helpful that conversation was. Today's episode is not quite so encouraging and positive, I have to say. It comes as a result of a bit of sleeplessness on my part. I woke up very early the other morning as I've been doing more and more just recently, and I couldn't really muster the energy or wakefulness to get up and do something productive. You know, that kind of in-between time at about 3.30 or 4 in the morning when it's too early to get up but too late to get back to sleep. And so I lay there and listened to the next thing on my podcast feed. And it happened to be the most recent episode of The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill which is a podcast series from Christianity Today that tells the story of the meteoric growth and tragic implosion of the ministry of Mark Driscoll at Mars Hill Church in Seattle. And as a friend said to me, listening to this podcast series, I don't know if any of you have been doing this, but it's it's like watching a slow motion train wreck and feeling a little guilty for pausing to watch and for wanting to see what happens next. And the episode that I listened to earlier this week, which runs for nearly two hours, I think, is certainly like that. It lays out in detail, in well-documented detail, I have to say, the final awful couple of years between 2012 and 2014 when everything unraveled at Mars Hill. It features extended interviews with those who were involved, including some really heart-wrenching stories of people who had invested their whole lives at Mars Hill, who'd been saved there and converted there and grown there as Christians, who'd given their lives to the place and who were really left kind of strewn on the side of the road as collateral damage when the whole thing fell in a heap. I don't know if any of you have been listening to this podcast series. I know a number of people have. It's by no means perfect. It's overly long, I think, and a bit digressive at various points. And there's an agenda that peeps through at different times. But it does succeed, and succeed quite well, I think, in telling the story, the story of an outrageously gifted preacher and leader, and that's certainly who Mark Driscoll was and is. He's outrageously gifted as a preacher and as a Bible teacher. But someone who had major character flaws, and the story of how those flaws led to a quite dysfunctional and doomed leadership culture that ended up destroying the church that he planted, And as I listened to this sad story, and it is a very sad story, a couple of things jumped out to me as I listened, along with a nagging question that still bothers me and that I'll come back to in a a few minutes. The first observation, I guess, is the most obvious one, and that is that the stakes really are very high in Christian ministry and for Christian leaders. It's a noble work, as Paul describes, being an overseer in 1 Timothy 3, and requires a certain kind of person. Someone who not only has the ability to teach and to lead, but who has the character and personal maturity to exemplify in his life, as far as we sinful humans can do that, the reality of the truth that we teach. And it's not as if this is an obscure point in the New Testament. It's repeated on multiple 
occasions in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 and 1 Peter 5, there are certain characteristics and qualifications that a congregational leader needs to have. It's interesting, though, that in those passages, not every Christian virtue is listed. And in fact, it's quite striking which ones aren't listed. There's no mention of joy, for example, or hope, or even prayerfulness, or patience, or for that matter, love. Not every virtue is listed. But the ones that are listed and mentioned do seem to be very important and to correlate almost to the demands and pressures that godly leaders face. Their public demeanour and reputation, their family life, their ability to deal constructively and helpfully with others in the congregation, to be humble rather than domineering in those relationships, for example. Their ability to deal with conflict, not to be quarrelsome or arrogant, but to be gentle. Their ability to deal with the lure and danger of money, and also the danger of just getting into all of this too young and falling into the condemnation of the devil, of, of becoming puffed up and conceited. The tragedy of Mars Hill is that, as far as the podcast tells it, and it tells it in some detail and in a well-documented way, is that it was apparent to numerous people fairly early on that Mark Driscoll had deficiencies in several of these areas, particularly, it seems, in relation to temper and kind of belligerence and argumentativeness and arrogance and a domineering style of leadership and behaviour. And he was young. He started Mars Hill on his own at the age of 25 without formal theological education and without any real oversight. Now, given these circumstances and these character traits, the fact that it all unravelled eventually is maybe not surprising. In fact, the podcast tells the story in a way that makes it seem almost inevitable. But it took 15 years for it to happen. And the question that the podcast explores is exactly how and why this happened. How was Mark affirmed and supported in ministry for so long? By his own church, by the congregation itself, by elders and fellow pastors, by other leaders within the United States that he was in fellowship with? How did it all endure for as long as it did when, according to Scripture, he did seem quite unsuited to be a pastoral leader, according to the kind of characteristics that places like 1 Timothy 3 lay out. Now, the podcast itself suggests many of the reasons that we might first think of as to how these things happen and why they happen. Success has a way of blinding us and leading us to compromise for the sake of growth. As a movement and an institution grows, the pressure comes on to cut corners and to overlook bad behaviour, and that only intensifies as things get bigger and the pressure increases. It's easy for people to become caught up in the culture of celebrity. In fact, for the leader himself to become caught up in the culture of his own celebrity and in being a charismatic and powerful and compelling leader. Allowances start being made for the behaviour of people. No one really wants to speak up, and those who do speak up are sidelined or just removed and so on. All of this is no doubt true, although it did occur to me as I lay in bed the other morning with a growing sense of real sadness in hearing the story, that there was also a theological disaster burbling away underneath the whole story. It was a failure to believe, a catastrophic failure as it turned out, to believe and act 
upon what the Bible says, upon the Word of God. We all implicitly believe that great leaders ought to possess personal dynamism and rhetorical power to be great preachers, to have the ability to cast a vision and so on. And many do, and these are good things in themselves. But without the godly character that's required of an elder and an overseer, a leader with these gifts is not just unsuitable for the job, but dangerous in that role. God's Word says this quite clearly. But as with many areas of church life and ministry, we don't really believe it, or we don't act upon it, which amounts to the same thing. In the case of Mars Hill, it seems to me that this failure was compounded by an alternative theological vision of how God speaks. Mark Driscoll often told the story of how God personally spoke to him as a young man and told him to do four things, to preach the Bible, train men, plant a church, and marry Grace. That's his girlfriend at the time and who became his wife. And this God-given personal call was one of the theological foundations of the entire enterprise and was spoken of repeatedly. It was part of the Mars Hill mythology, part of the story. Mark was there doing this thing because God had told him to and had called him to it. And the implication, of course, as things went along, was that if you opposed or inhibited this ministry, you were opposing God's purpose and God's plan. Now, this is just bad theology, a bad theology of revelation of how God speaks. And it has bad consequences. And ironically, or perhaps predictably, this charismatic theology of revelation that God reveals himself in personal words to me to tell me what to do. This was also part of the end game of the whole scenario. When Mark was finally confronted with the judgment of the church elders that he needed to step down and repent and seek help for his character flaws, his response was to claim that God had audibly spoken to him and released him from this path. Later on, in an interview with Brian Houston, the Hillsong pastor, Mark tells the story of how this happened. He says, and I quote from the interview, On Monday night, I was in the bedroom. Grace was in the living room. God spoke to me, and he spoke to her in a supernatural way that neither of us expected or anticipated. Grace walked in and said, I feel like the Lord just said what we were supposed to do. And I said, I feel like the Lord just spoke to me and said... And so I asked her, what did the Lord say to you? Because I didn't want to influence her. And she said, we're released from Mars Hill. And she said this, fighting back tears. And she said, what, what did he say to you? And I said, the Lord revealed to me a trap has been set. There's no way for us to return to leadership. And I didn't know what that meant or what was going on at the time. He said, we're released and we need to resign. So... Mark Driscoll played the God spoke to me card to justify his vision and leadership at Mars Hill. It was all on the basis of a personal revelation to him. And then he played it again to justify leaving this, this apparently God-given calling and avoiding the process of accountability and repentance. Faulty theology is dangerous and damaging. And in this case... The bad theology of revelation and of ministry calling only added to the problems and the damage at Mars Hill. But then there's a nagging question. There's one that I really don't know what to do with and that I'll close with. And the question is this, how much of all this did Mark Driscoll know and understand himself along the way? 
I can't help wonder this. How self-aware was he of what he was doing and what was going on? Was he knowingly and self-consciously a bully, an arrogant bully, it seems, the whole time? Or was it a complex mix of real conviction about the gospel and the word, a real desire to see the gospel spread, along with a flawed character that wasn't really suitable for gospel ministry leadership, all blended together in a kind of twisted mess that eventually led to disaster. Certainly in his interview with Brian Houston, he candidly admits that he started too young and without appropriate oversight. He says that my character was not caught up with my gifting. There's some self-awareness there. But is this all part of the act? The public show of contrition, the fallen celebrity pastor being interviewed on camera by another celebrity pastor? Or is that too cynical? Is it bound up perhaps with just the complicated, conflicted mess that we are as humans? That we know the sin and dysfunction in our hearts, and yet we're not quite able to escape it. And sometimes we don't even want to escape it because we can't bring ourselves to. I've often pondered this question regarding the false teachers and the wolves that the New Testament speaks about. And to be clear, I'm not necessarily putting Mark in those categories. But I have always wondered, do people who are false teachers or who are wolves in sheep's clothing, do they know that they are wolves? Or do they kind of know, but suppress that knowledge in order to function and to live with themselves? Is it perhaps a bit like Romans 1, that they believe the big lie that they know better than God, and over time become darkened and twisted in their thinking and behaviour, all the while persuading others and persuading themselves that they're worthy of approval? I'm not sure I know the answer. But I do pray that God would save and protect us from this kind of blindness. Well, there's a few reflections on a sad but salutary story, I think, for us. And there is a Sydney side to the Mars Hill story as well. As many of you will know, Mark Driscoll came out here in 2008 to speak at the Katoomba Convention, to speak at various other events, including a big ministry gathering at St Andrew's Cathedral. And it's interesting to look back and read some accounts and reactions from that time. We published a few of them in the briefing, and I'll put some links to those articles over on the web version of this podcast. If you want to go over to the text version at thepainfultruth.online, I'll put the, uh, the links down there at the conclusion. Many people were pretty enthusiastic about him and his message. He was a very attractive and compelling speaker. Others were more cautious and even critical of some of the things he had to say. But none of us, I think, had any real idea of the problems that were already beginning to manifest themselves back in the States. We just didn't know. And perhaps that's the lesson. Perhaps we should beware the big-name international speaker whose personal life and ministry you don't really know. In fact, thinking back over the past 25 years, some other names come to mind. Bill Hybels. Frank Tillipore, some of you will remember him. He was all the rage for a while. Ravi Zacharias came out, of course. All of these had their day as visiting international ministry figures and gurus that we were supposed to listen to. All of them are now in disgrace. There's a lesson there, I think. Well, that's about it for a slightly sort of sober and sad painful truth today. But the truth is sometimes painful. 
and we must learn from painful truths. Learn to trust the word of God and only appoint people to ministry who have the character that the Bible says those people should have, the character to be godly leaders. Even if they are not as outrageously gifted and compelling as others, but if someone is able to teach and they have a godly character, they're the people we should be appointing as elders and overseers and leaders, not necessarily uh, the out-of-the-box person who has personality flaws that are going to be damaging and destructive. Well, that's about it for this week. I'm interested, of course, in your reactions and thoughts. Uh, do get in touch at uh, by emailing me at tonyjpain at me.com or by leaving a comment over at the website. Thanks for listening. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now. Thank you.